Hey team, welcome to episode four of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to ownership. Christine Charles here today, and uh, before we get started, I uh, have to tell you, I am just super overwhelmed with the packing process. I don't know how we have so much crap in our house, but we do. The playroom's packed up, and suitcases are packed, and um, we're living out of a suitcase for the next week, so I apologize if I'm a little edgy (laughs) this week. Well, fun, fun. I had the new uh, wife and the new, we call them bonus children, move in uh, this week. I got bonus dog one, and then bonus mom is moved in uh, for about six weeks from her house is being rented. So, oh, yes. a little edgy on your side. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Extra edgy. What we got, girl? What are we talking about? Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the sometimes can be awkward conversation of asking for the financials and information oh, yeah. to diligence. Um, it is the most unnatural thing to do if you don't do it all the time. I mean, that's part of our job here. And so we've fine tuned it and we know the right words. Um, And that's what we're going to talk about today and kind of hopefully give you a little guidance. It's definitely a number one question we get, you know, how do I ask? And this is my situation. Um, It's definitely worth a dry run, a practice run of looking at yourself in the mirror. um, And hopefully we'll give you some tips to do that today. Um, So, you know, I like to say the what, the when, the why, and the how, kind of understanding all those things. And no matter what you're doing. So let's talk about the what and the when. Obviously, we need to know what to ask for, but when to ask for it is, I think, one of the biggest questions. And I think that depends on your situation, right? Like associate, associate partner. Yeah. When you're asking anyone about something that is personal, these are financial, these are sometimes their personal tax returns, just kind of build that relationship and trust with them first. Uh, making sure that you just don't want to go out of the gate and just say, hey, I'm Charles, I'm interested in your practice, I want to see your tax returns. But, you know, really understanding what some of their goals are, get them to kind of open up, have them paint a vision, uh, certainly really important. And just even how you ask, it, it's just so... Uh, so important. So, so let's let's start, let's start with right. associate. No real plan of ownership. Okay. Like how do you okay. handle that one? Yeah, and I agree. I mean, there's there's uh, there's obviously different types of uh, opportunities, you know, and, and we'll go over those. But uh, if it's just that street associate, there's really no opportunity, um, you know, for for a buy-in. What you need to know here, and this is kind of a similar example, you know, working working in a corporate environment, is am I going to be busy? Yep. Right, because hey, you know, as an associate, I, I think that when, especially when you come out of school or coming out of a residency program, you're looking for busyness. You're looking mm-hmm. for a paycheck. paycheck. You're looking for just that clinical training and knowledge. You know, how do I get money so I can pay down my debt? How do I get some cash uh, so I so I can buy into this thing? So you're really trying to figure out things like. You know, if it's an associate, is their current associate there? How busy are they? Great indicator. Yeah, maybe it's an associate and they're leaving. You're going to come in and, and take over their role. And he or she is doing 50, 60 clinical a month. You multiply that out times your percent. Okay, great. I'm going to make $150,000, $170,000. Um, I mean, that's key. You can back into some of these things too, Christy, which is was cool. I know you look at this and our whole team does. But sometimes even when I'm on a phone call, and on hold, I'll look at somebody's website. I can see that they have, you know, two associates and, and how many assistants they have and figure out and back into what their collections are, mm-hmm. almost what their overhead is yep. and figure out this is a million, three million, four. I bet you they got 40 new patients a month. I bet they're just begging to bring an associate 
in there because the uh, the numbers in the practice, like the number of hygienists, the number of new patients, would dictate that. So, ideally, you know, again, you're looking for that practice that's really busy, uh, maybe something you know north of a million dollars, maybe north of, of uh, 30, 40 new patients a month. Ideally. Uh, you know, two full-time hygienists, you know, would be ideal. And so, you know, you need to be able to ask these pointed questions. Do you ask them on the first date? No, uh, you're asking and you're doing it in a way that's not offensive. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a nice, kind way. And it may be the, and maybe we'll go into some of those role plays here a little, little bit later, but uh, the key is really understanding. I think it's a fair question. I mean, I think if you are going to be an associate in a practice, am I going to have enough work here to work four days? Or am I going to have to pick up another practice and work two days in one and two days in the other? So we know that happens. And I think it's you're, you're not going to get tax returns and collections and W-2s of employees at this level. Right, but, right, right, right. but asking, hey, you know, can I see some production reports? Or if there's never been an associate there, maybe... You know, how far out are you booked or right. what type of hygiene do you have so that you can understand the level of productivity you'll have? And I think that's the goal. Right. And, you know, it could be in a situation where I'm the senior doctor and I'm selfish and I have this million dollar practice. I can do all of the work. But yet I think I need this associate. I'm willing to pay, you know, you 35 percent to come into work for me. But, you know, you understand 35 percent of nothing is nothing. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's where we want, you know, some type of guaranteed income and just some type of uh plan, but I think part of what we're trying to do is make sure you're educated and do your due diligence so you can see this practice is going to be able to generate you know, plenty of dentistry for you uh, so that you can, get, again, get that experience and get that cash flow going. Absolutely. Okay. So what if I'm an associate, but there's been discussion of a future partnership or maybe even uh, you will be a partner one day, you're going to start off as an associate. How does that change what we can ask for and when? Yeah. So this one, I'm going to ask maybe a little bit more because it does involve more of that commitment, that more of that two years, that building a relationship with the the patients and the staff and maybe even trying to grow that practice. So I think that uh, it's really important to ask those really good questions early on there. Very similar even to the associate. You definitely want to look at the collections of the practice and just to make sure that it's going to support you. Again, the numbers that would support you you know, million two, million three, they're just thriving. It's got plenty of chairs. You'd ask things like if there's new patient flow of 20 as our strategies, you know, maybe we might bring a consulting firm on to uh, to grow, you know, number of new patients, looking at the procedure mix that's going on, maybe the procedures that established doctor, you know, is not doing or those procedures that you can bring to the equation, maybe courses again that you can take who the valuation, you know, company is going to be, when that the timing of that's going to be. I mean, it, this could be a, 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 uh, an episode all, all on its own. Absolutely. I think using kind of a, a client as an example, you know, in our kind of framework, most people we work with want to be transparent. If they're truly bringing you on to be a partner, they don't want to waste time frankly, investing in you if you're going to then see the price or see the financials down the road and kind of walk away. Yes. And so I think the more transparent and the more open someone is, I think the more comfort you probably have it, that they truly want you to be a partner and have thought it out and they have a game plan and they've thought about it and you know projected out all the numbers or they have a valuation time frame in mind. Um, because keep in mind, you're signing a non-compete in either of these situations. So you sign a non-compete assuming you're going to be a partner and you've just non-competed yourself out of your hometown. You have to walk the line of saying, hey, this is what I need to make my decision. 
And this is what I can comfortable with maybe learning later down the road once we've kind of developed, you know, a, a working relationship. Let me compliment you there on, the, on that transparency thing. It's the one thing if we can really hit on this little small little part of this subject is so important. You know, if I have an awesome practice and I got this million two practice with a 50 percent overhead, you know, uh, dear associate, here, future partner, here's my tax returns. Here's my profit and loss statement. Here's my uh, production by provider. Here's everything. And you're, they're almost bragging of how well their practice is and just basically saying, come on in. This is what an amazing uh, you know, opportunity. The guy or gal that's not really willing to share that, it makes me really nervous. Uh, we actually will not work with a, we you know, obviously have multiple services here, but our seller consulting relationship, we will not work with a seller unless we have that transparency thing. We educate them on how this is going to work. Then we educate the buyer how it's going to work. And then we help them through their through their partnership goals. So uh, really, really important there. So associate and then associate to partner, and we've touched on those. Obviously, there's just the very clean, um, probably most obvious, I'm just going to do an immediate buyout acquisition, find a practice on a broker site, you know, come across it from, an, from my network. Um, this is obviously much easier, definitely, right, to get the information. The valuation's done. They probably put together some kind of packet. They expect you to ask the questions because their intent is to sell the whole shebang. Yeah, definitely there. So, you know, we talked about the first two. We're really kind of building those relationships before we ask for the financials because it's a little personal, and we really don't know the long term uh, kind of end game there on kind of options one and two. But the the acquisition game. Uh, we know the long the long term. It's just to buy the practice. I still think it's really important to build a relationship. You got to understand that if if you found the practice online or through a broker or whatever it may be, someone else did as well. Mm-hmm. And so you know, a lot of times they're going to make that decision to sell the practice to you because they felt better about it. So now it's definitely time to to gather information. But look, it, it all comes down to about. The, the cash flow and how it's going to work to you. Two quick examples and, and we'll move on. But example one does a million dollars. It makes a half a million dollars. So unbelievable overhead. Price is 70%. So it's $700,000. You're going to make over $400,000 uh, after you pay the bank. Option two is a smaller practice does 500. Price is at 300. But it only nets 150. Not only is going to net 150 after you pay the bank. I mean, there's obviously two extremes there. You know, you got to go into so many more things as far as like the, the production that's that's there. Can you do it? Is he or she going to stay back into the practice? What kind of deal are we doing with the building and the rent and just lots of you know lots of details and obviously. We have a. Um, we talk about this a bunch, but on our website, we've got our, our ninety kind of uh, bullet points of what to think about in these transitions. And so, certainly on the buy-in acquisition, we need to think this whole process through. We want to obviously guide you through it. Uh, this is going to be an appropriate time early, early in the stages when you come across these these practices that are for sale. Yep, and I think the, you know that buyer's checklist you mentioned on our website obviously more applicable probably in this immediate buy-in or acquisition. But I think all of those questions, if you're entering a practice that you can see yourself in long-term, there's, there's something there kind of for every situation we just talked about. 
Um, so, you know, that that's the when to ask, uh, what to ask for. We have a list of, hey, here is the ideal list of things you need to request, profit and losses, tax returns, production, et cetera. We have that on our website too. I'll post a little something um, on our blog that kind of links to that and just kind of a reminder of those things. Um, those are really important, obviously, in the, in the acquisition space. Um, but ultimately, if you're going to buy into anything now or later, that's what you're going to buy into. So, or that's what you're going to need to see at some point and some, you know, whether that's spaced out over initially and then later down the road or all at one time. So I'll link to that. Um, so check that out and make sure you kind of look at that. And then again, you can download that buyer's checklist. So the next thing is the why. I think personally that it's really important to understand the why. Why are you going to be asking for these things? And I think if you understand the why and you can convey why you're asking for these things, then almost like how to ask kind of just comes naturally. And I think it gives the seller a little bit of context and they understand more. It doesn't feel so invasive if you can like make it a personal reason why you're asking and, and this is why it impacts me and I'm trying to be smart about my decision. Obviously, the first one is understanding the practice opportunity. I mean, how many times do we talk with clients? And our first thing we say when, hey, why are you interested in purchasing or joining this practice? And that conversation has to come from the seller. You know, I can think of a client that we're working with who um, knows logically that transition is in the future, Mm -hmm. but can't necessarily figure out how to do it. And so they brought on um, a couple of individuals and kind of tried out a few different methods. And it's just pretty clear to us that they're not ready yet. They're not ready. And so when they're not ready yet, as an associate coming in the door, you know, asking these questions and trying to figure out why are you bringing me in mm-hmm. is super, super important um, to get that information and be able to see, hey, you're a one doc practice and you want to bring someone in and you say you can keep me busy, like, I'm not sure how that's possible, right? Right. That gives you a lot of clues to, is this a long-term option for me or is this something that I'm able to grow to become what we want it to become? Right, right. So let me me add to that because I I know who you're talking about and I I can think of not dozens, but uh, probably close to 100 people I've talked to in my almost 20-year career that, and I'm just like, dude, you're not ready. (laughs) Primarily, it's it's men. Men are just just not ready. (laughs) They want to hang on. They just can't give it up. But, you know, if it's a one-doctor practice that's doing 900 collections and maybe it's netting $300,000, it's a nice, solid practice. 15, 18 new patients a month, again, nice and solid. But when they're saying, I want to bring you in and transition this practice to you over time, it just doesn't scream transition. Mm -hmm. It, It really screams, hey, why don't you keep doing what you're doing, work there for another couple of years, give us a call back, and then let's figure out when we get closer to like a two-year time frame that we can really transition this practice to the right person. Then maybe you're working back in the practice one day a week, something like that. So it's it's a really, again, you've got to understand, again, these some of these opportunities that are presented because you can really like these people from an emotional standpoint. But if the numbers don't work, you know, it doesn't work for you. Yeah. So uh, that's tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, understanding and kind of conveying that I'm asking for this information because I want to understand your goals Mm -hmm. and I want to understand where the practice can go. Mm -hmm. You see someone who has 
a million and a half, two million dollars of doctor production, they're tired, right? right? Like, of yep. course, why? Yep. This is why they're bringing you in. So I think that is important. Um, another issue is the debt, right? In order to buy into a practice or buy a practice, you have to understand if the cash flows make sense. Yeah. I mean, like you just said, you can like it and love it, but if it doesn't pay the bills or debt service, yep, not for you. Let me let me add something we just talking about, and let me also deal with that debt. So when you understand the why, for example, and I'm working with a, a buyer uh, right now, and I've actually been working with this buyer for a number of years, and she's been in this practice, and it's a specialty practice. It does $2 million of collections. It nets 50%. Nets $1 million. She's yeah. going to be able to do the work. She's in the practice right now, and uh, the opportunity was presented to her in residency how this was all going to lay out. And as well as conversation I had with her many moons ago, like, do not screw it up. Like, do not mess it up. I want to handwritten thank you cards, all the stuff we talked about. Like, don't mess it up. And so she gets the why. Because, you know, today uh, she's making approximately $200,000. In the next two years, she'll owe 100% of it. So now all of a sudden she makes a a million dollars. She pays debt on the million dollars, which is the business debt. And, yeah, sure, it's going to be about $225,000 a year. You math majors at seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. You're after debt. This is the why. This is why I said do not screw it up. You know, and then you got to look at other deals to where you like and love the guy or gal, but maybe it's this five hundred collection practice, and he or she wants to stay around, and you know, kind of let uh, it only nets a hundred, hundred and fifty-two. There's just not enough money there. Yeah. So you got to understand the why of why we may be having you look at other practices. Yeah. Because in the end. You know, you've got this debt, this dental school debt. It's it's three hundred, four thousand dollars of debt, whatever the number is, and it's a real number. It's after tax dollars of two or three, four thousand dollars a month. That means you've got to go make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, pay federal, state, social security taxes to be left over to pay your dental school debt. We get it. We get that sense of urgency and that sense of emotion of how, what to do. And the key to handle that is through buying the right practice. So if when you understand the why, what you're buying, and now we can understand your your why of your emotions of your of your personal debt, then we can guide you through, help you facilitate to buy that uh, that right practice that can solve all those other kind of emotional slash personal financial concerns that you're having with yeah. your even your personal debt. I think from talking with sellers, I think sellers generally understand that, right? You as a as someone coming out of dental school or residency have so much more debt than those sellers had when they were coming out of school. And so a lot of them think maybe you can't even buy, right? right? And so we'll talk about lending in episode five, but some of them think, hey, this person can't afford my practice. And so to frame your request of, hey, my goal is to understand your practice, your philosophy, and all those, you know, touchy-feely things, but then ultimately saying, hey, I need to make sure that the financials of this practice work for me and my family and my student debt load and kind of framing it in that, in that fashion, you're just educating yourself on if this makes sense, because you want to be respectful of their time and their efforts. Um, and so I think that, that why and you understanding it, you first, and then also kind of being able to relay why you're asking for this information and maybe why the financial aspect is so important. Um, you have a debt sitting on your shoulders that seller doesn't, you know, their why has become more about the practice, but you know, that shifts over time from buyer to seller. So let me compliment there. So again, you know, it's how you're asking this information. You don't want to come across, you know, the wrong way. And I think when you, 
you kind of tie that back into where it's a responsibility to owe to my spouse. I'm $400,000 in debt. He or she has followed me for four years or three years or seven years, whatever it may be. I just really owe it back to them. And so I, I need to do my due diligence so I make the right decision for my family. Yep. How do you argue with that? How, it's just, <laughs> okay. yeah, okay, I understand. Let, let me let me talk to my accountant and let me get you the, uh, the financial information that you're requesting. So yeah. I get it. And so it's just, it's how everything is framed is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And then another point I wanted to make on this kind of why is we've been talking about cash flows and financials, but production is really important and the procedures that have been referred out and understanding what can I bring to the table? Um, What do you need help with? Like, what are you already doing? Um, This takes on a different importance depending on what, you know, what type of transition you're doing, but let's say you're doing an immediate buyout. Can you do the production? Right. Are there procedures that you can't do or those that you can do that are being referred out? So understanding the opportunity and understanding the limitations that you might be placed under um, is really important, too. And I think that asking those questions shows you're thinking ahead. Obviously, if seller wants to work back or doesn't want to work back, then those are critical pieces of information to know. Yeah. So just all those procedures, ideally, when you're buying a practice, you know, that he or she is referring out lots of things and me, you're looking at this as kind of a stock. It's a $700,000 collection practice and you can see it growing to a million because lack of marketing or the procedures that he or she is referring out. Hopefully that's a skill set you're bringing to the equation. But it works on just the opposite. It could be the million-dollar practice that nets four hundred thousand, which again looks looks maybe great on paper. Maybe the price is a little bit higher than normal at eight hundred thousand, and now all of a sudden you're going to net after debt service uh, just under three hundred. But when you look into the uh, production provider report and see that he or she is doing two hundred thousand dollars of implants and and $50,000 of third molar extractions and you don't have that skill set, now all of a sudden we have to employ the senior doctor back in the practice. We have to pay them mm-hmm. 35%, 40%. Now all of a sudden you cash start flow. reducing that cash flow. It doesn't work for you. On the surface, yes, the million, nets for look good, but we definitely have to solve the problem and make sure that you can do the procedures in that practice, certainly. All right, I'm going to do a little role-playing. All right, I'm ready. ready. Yep, okay, yep. So I'm going to assume that we have asked for the financials in whatever situation, associate, so to partner, immediate. Yes. Um, and I'm going to assume that the selling doctor, I'm going to be the selling doctor. You're going to be mean doctor. I'm going to be mean Thank seller. You. Yes. Um, and I'm going to basically kind of counter your request with oh. some of the most common things that we hear. Okay. okay. So you've asked, I'm going to say, well, you know, I just don't want to give you my financials. That's private information and very personal. Well, first, certainly you want to respect what they just said. And so I typically when, you know, when someone says something like that, I, I almost repeat back what they just said. In this case, I would say, Christy, I absolutely understand uh, what you just said. I understand that your, your business returns and your personal tax returns are private. They're confidential. This is your life's work. And I understand you having some hesitancies about sharing the information uh, with me. One of the things that I was taught at fill-in-the-blank school is that we should ask for the financials of the practice. I feel that the financials of the practice will show us the health and show us the the transition plan and that we're currently working with a CPA firm or a transition firm and blame it on us that we are the ones asking. Blame it on your family that you owe it to your family uh, to gather this information. 
but ultimately, it is something of, of great importance for you to understand of gathering this information because again, of your debt and your your maybe your marriage and, and your kids, but you have to have do the due diligence on this practice uh, for for you to move forward. It's in a nice, kind way, and I'm sure you understand type of. Uh, type of response. So that's how I would handle that one. Okay. What about, um, my profit and loss is not really important for you to see because it's not really representative of the cash flows. I mean, I run a bunch of stuff through, so it doesn't really matter what it shows. Right. So the key thing is you have to understand that as a business owner, um, these business owners, which hopefully you're working with a good CPA firm that understands tax planning and hopefully one day you'll be working with uh, the CPA firm that uh, we recommend. And uh, being able to run those things for your business, so hopefully you'll be doing the same thing. So my response there is I absolutely understand the benefits of running your own business and being able to run those discretionary items through. It's great. I can't wait to be in the same exact shoes. One of the things I have on my team already uh, is a, a transition firm that actually values businesses and understands completely about all those discretionary items. I don't claim to be the expert, you know, on that, but I, I'm hoping to surround myself with a group of uh, experienced people. So what I was hoping is, if you did share it with me, that they would help me understand and they would be able to interpret what questions to ask. And so, you know, if you feel comfortable with that, um, I, I'd like to get that information in their hands so we can work on this, uh, our transition goals together. Like it. Okay. This one gets me. This one makes me mad when I hear this one, but we often hear of other brokers or other sellers saying, Hey, I'm not going to give you any financial information until you sign a letter of intent saying that you're going to purchase the practice. I definitely, it, it makes the <laughs> blood pressure go up. My pulse is, uh, you know, kind of a low 40 guy, but you know, again, where you are, you know, you're in a market, I uh, can think of a young doctor that we just got through working with, just graduating dental school and the broker is requiring it. Okay. In that instance, I kind of get it. The broker's like, I don't want to waste my time with you little D4 with no money. So, um, let's put some earnest money on this thing and make sure you're real. So, I can understand a little bit there on, on the broker's standpoint, but come on, I've been out, you know, two years, I've got, you know, 50,000 liquidity, I can do the doctor production. I think you lose a lot of negotiation in that letter of intent mm-hmm. just to get the information. So what we want to do is really set the deal up and to make sure that when we do, if we do go down that route, we're not putting earnest money down on that and that we're having information and bullets in there saying that, you know, after review of this information, you know, we would be able to, you know, offer a fair price. It's not necessarily that we're offering this price, but um, this is this is what we're willing to do moving forward. So. I'm going to play slightly devil's advocate Ugh. there and tell you that I actually... I mean, I know there's exceptions to every rule, right? right? Like never say never. But even if you're a D4 and you don't have a lot of money and you're coming out of school, like I always think turn it around and be like, hey, broker, would you sign a million dollar? Would you would you commit to spending a million dollars and not see one financial? No, you wouldn't. Right. So I get it and I understand it to a point. So that's why if you're put in the situation, it's a good practice. You've visited, you were super interested, you know, let someone look over that letter of intent and make sure you're not giving away or committing to some crazy price or 10 day turnaround time on diligence. Um, so I don't like it, but if you we have know, to do Christy, it, we, we all know ah. in the office you hate this. 
<laughs> You're never going to believe what just happened. This broker has the nerve to do the following. All right. What about this? We get this a lot. What if the seller you're working with isn't tech savvy, doesn't know how to run one report from their system, and obviously, let's say they're selling their practice, maybe it's not known to the staff that they're doing that. So you're right. asking for all this information, and you're not getting one thing in return. You can't get a financial. Like You just feel like you're at an impasse. This is difficult. You know, We run across this, not often, but uh, we do run across it. And so the key is, is trying to make it as easy as possible. Is there an office manager that maybe you can work with? Is there a, a local CPA uh, that you can work with and maybe just work directly with them? Uh, is there uh, someone in the office, maybe the spouse that's involved in the practice? Can we work with them to help uh, with, this, with this project? Because ultimately, you have to explain to them that we want uh, to help. So we're trying to help these people in the transition of the practice. But uh, the more that they can uh, provide to us and show us, even like the guy before with lots of discretionary stuff, the more cash that that senior doctor can show, the higher the value. And most importantly for you, the more attractive uh, this practice you know, is going to become. So the key is just to uh, to put it out there, hey, I know that that might be a challenge, but maybe can we work with your uh, local CPA uh, or office manager or somebody, a spouse, uh, to help uh, with some of the things that uh, we need to get pulled out of the practice? Because ultimately, you remember there's three parties to the, to the equation. Uh, there's the seller, there's the buyer, and there's the bank. And the bank is going to require this information. So by us working you know, a bunch in lending, we know what the bank's going to ask. We know what the bank is going to be looking for. And so we're just trying to do the due diligence first. So we don't have to go down this whole entire road to figure out that it's not, it's not going to work. So ultimately, we got to get the information. Okay, you passed you passed your role playing test today. Um, so, so what I'm hearing you say, though, over and over in various forms, is it's really about the relationship at this oh, point, yeah. right? I mean, like maintaining that relationship and that goodwill transfer, regardless of what kind of transition you're going to have, maintaining that relationship, coming from a place of yes, and how can I help make this happen, and here's why, and explaining, um, and it's not just a I need this. I need this. Right. I need this. You know, you have to frame it in the right way. So we're, we're nearing the end of our episode. So why don't you uh, recap us? What do we? What, what should we have learned today? All right. Yeah. Job? All right. So we, we got the kind of the what and when. So let's make sure uh, that we understand how to ask for the, uh, the financials. Uh, we touched on that as far as, you know, all your please and thank yous, the compliments, uh, just the correct language skills of gathering that. Uh, the why you've got to understand the cash flows, kind of the opportunities, uh, either as a, a D three, knowing that this this is going to transition in the next three, four, five years, or it's going to you know transition overnight. You've got to understand what your personal financial situation is, so that we can do the work, buy the business, pay the debt, and make all that work. You've got to understand the roadblocks you know that are in front of you, and be able to uh, to certainly you know to overcome those. So. Uh, remember that relationship part, as you mentioned, Christy, is absolutely critical. So uh, all the, uh, the right language skills throughout this entire process, remember it's their business, it, it's their life's work, it's their, for the most part, 20, 30-year relationships with patients and the community and uh, their staff. And so just be very respectful through this entire time for them because it, it's very much uh, a nerve-wracking time for them. I know it is for you. 
but um, it, it's it's they're just nervous. We deal with this every day. They're just yep. they're just really nervous that they're going to uh, do this too soon or transition to the wrong person. And so you know, we highly highly recommend grab a mirror, grab your spouse, grab your dog, call us. Um, we do this all the time in the car on the way home. I'll have a quick coaching call, just listening to someone who's about who has an office visit the next day. So rehearse. Um, assume maybe do something like we did today, assume kind of what they're going to say back or, you know, kind of have those conversations and be prepared with your answers and ask for those financials, um, and send them our way or someone's way. Make sure you have someone who is experienced in this, looking them over, um, prepping you for follow-up questions or asking those follow-up questions because this first round of questions is definitely not the last. There's a lot more, uh, diligence kind of for past that first where your financials are, you know, how can I understand the cash flows? Yeah. And, and those five or 10 minute coaching calls I know are just extremely valuable to, to many of the hundreds of people I've spoken to over the years. I know they're very appreciative and it's something we're passionate about doing. And so something like that, obviously reach out a, a quick email with three or four questions, anything like that at all. It's always complimentary just to make sure that we can guide you guys uh, through this whole ownership game. So awesome. All right. Well, that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Make sure to stay tuned for episode five where we're going to talk about debt and lending. Awesome. Fun fun topic. Uh, Subscribe to Transition Talk via the website or iTunes to stay up on the latest and transition talk. Talk to you soon. Great, great job, Chrissy. Awesome.